As Joanna said, we are beginning a new series of messages today entitled Lost. It comes from a statement that Jesus made about himself found in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Here's what he said. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, honestly, it's pretty hard to get lost these days, isn't it? Most of us have in our pockets or purses a phone that tells us exactly where we are and where we, uh, how to get where we want to go. But there are still a few places on this planet where you can, in fact, get lost. And I found one of them this past summer. I want to show you a map of where I got lost. Here's a map of it. Uh, I don't, you know, because I was lost, I don't know exactly where I got lost, but it was somewhere way up to the north where uh, the lake becomes the James River. This is outside of Branson, Missouri. We were staying at a friend's house on Table Rock Lake. And one afternoon I decided... You know, I'm going to take the Wave Runner out uh, all by myself, and I'm going to follow the lake north until it turns into the James River, and I'm just going to go as far as I possibly can. What a great idea. <laughs> well, this is a picture that I took uh, just before I got lost. I was having a great time. It was beautiful. As you can tell, the sun was setting, and I was just about to turn around when the engine died and would not restart. I mean, I tried, and ev- I just tried. It would not restart. My plan had been to follow the river back to the lake and the shore of the lake back to the house that we were staying at, but without the wave runner, I had absolutely no idea where I was. There were no roads. I hadn't seen any roads. There were no roads around there. I hadn't seen a single soul in a long time. There was no cell signal. I checked. There was no cell signal. The sky was getting darker, and for the first time in a very, very long time, I felt that awful panic of being lost. I mean, it was just, I just physically felt it flush through my body. And after about 20 minutes of doing everything I could to try to get that engine to start, I finally found a a stick that had uh, wedged in the jet nozzle of the wave runner. So I reached in there and removed the stick, (coughs) tried it, and the engine started. I was so relieved. There was just enough light to follow the shoreline back home. When I got back home, my wife said, well, that took a long time. I was like, you have no idea. I'm so glad to see you and so glad to be back in civilization. Uh, If that engine had not restarted, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, it, it would have been a long, cold night. Now, most people are not lost on the outside. They're lost, of course, more on the inside. But like me on that river, the experience is very similar. They they don't know how to get from where they are to where they want to be. And this is the kind of loss that Jesus was talking about in this statement he made in Luke chapter 19. He said it about a man named Zacchaeus. And here's the entire statement. He says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of, of Abraham. For the son of man, this is the term that Jesus used to refer to himself, came to seek and to save the lost. Now, this man, Zacchaeus, was not lost on the outside. When Jesus said this, he was sitting in his own house. He knew exactly where he was. But personally, he had been trying to to navigate his life for some time now without any guidance or direction from God. And that's the focus on this message series. What is it like to be in this world without any real connection or any real guidance from God? What does it mean? What does it feel like? What is the experience of being lost on the inside? So we begin today in this series with a look at what God thinks about those who are lost and and how God feels about those who are lost. 
Now, on that river, when I got lost that night, I took heart that it wouldn't be long before my wife would notice that I had not returned and that she would call for help. I knew, I knew that eventually I would be found because I knew someone loved me and would notice my absence and would come looking for me. But being lost on the inside is not very obvious. You, you can't look at someone and tell whether they're lost on the inside or not. In fact, many people who are lost carry a great deal of confidence to kind of mask maybe some of the things that are going on on the inside. So we, we, we don't notice it when people are lost on the inside, but God does. God notices, and out of his love, he mounts a pursuit. In fact, this is why he took on a body. He came to earth to come looking for people like you and me. His name was Jesus, and Jesus lived his life here on earth with this search at the very center of pretty much everything he did. This was his purpose in being here. This was his mission. And one of his patterns was to attend what some have now called Matthew parties. Now, they weren't called this back then. This is a term that's come since then. But the reason they are sometimes now called Matthew parties is because the first one of these that Jesus had was at a tax collector's house named Matthew. Matthew had just decided to follow Jesus and leave his dishonest tax collecting business, but he wasn't about to keep all of this good news about who Jesus was and, and how he could bring someone back to a relationship with God. He wasn't going to keep this news all to himself. And so Matthew invited all of his tax collecting friends to his house, and Jesus had an evening with them, ate a meal with them, talked with them. Now, this was a very interesting mix. This was God in a body, God in flesh, mingling with some of the lower elements of the day, the crooks of the day. But it started something. It, it became a sort of pattern for Jesus and his disciples. I mean, Jesus was constantly filling his social calendar with those who were far from God. And this puzzled and it angered the religious elite of the day. It made no sense to them. I mean, here's this man claiming to be God. We are struggling with that audacious claim itself. But now he kind of contradicts that claim by spending time with the kind of the moral low end of our culture. He was socializing with them. Why would he do that? It, it made no sense to them. So in Luke chapter 15, Jesus explains why he is doing this by telling three stories of people who had lost something. And in the stories, what Jesus is saying is, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these three individuals. And I want you to see the way I look at this world, because I look at this world the same way these three individuals look at the situation they found themselves in. So I'm going to read what, these, what Jesus said, these three stories. It's found in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. We're going to project the words on the screen so you can follow along or just listen as I read this to you. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. Speaking of Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them? This was their complaint, their confusion. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. 
Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and and loses one. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to feed to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods, the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these three individuals. The shepherd, the widow, and the father. And I want you to notice the choices that they made in the situation they were in. We're going to look at these three choices. The first choice that you have to make in life is what's, what's your priority going to be? What is the priority? And for these three, the, the decision they made was to focus on what they had lost rather than on what they had found. And this is true for all of us whenever we lose something. We focus on what's been lost. And Jesus says, that's the same with me. I mean, if you were a shepherd with 100 sheep and one wandered off, would you see it as an acceptable loss? Probably not. You'd probably do what this shepherd did. You'd make sure the 99 sheep were secure, and then you'd go on a nighttime search for the one that wandered off at some point. And if you were a widow with 10 coins, now understand, this is not just 10 quarters, like you would. If you lost a quarter, you might take it as an acceptable loss. The idea is that these are the 10 coins that this widow owns. This is, this is what she has. So if you were a widow with 10 coins to your name and you lost one, would you say, well, at least I still have nine? No. You'd do exactly what she did. You, you would turn your house upside down until you found the one coin that somehow had gotten lost. And if you were a father of two sons, And one of your sons broke your heart and left with his part of the inheritance. And you have to realize what this meant, especially in this culture, was the son was saying to the father, you're dead to me. I want my inheritance now because you might as well be dead. And that's what the father did. He gave him the inheritance and the son took, took off and squandered it all. So if you were that father and your son had broken your heart and left, would you... Would you find comfort in the fact that, well, at least I still have one son that loves me? Well, there would be comfort in that, but it wouldn't make up for the the pain and the loss of the one son that broke your heart. No, you, like this father, you would scan the horizon 
day after day after day, longing for and praying for the day when that lost son might return. This is the way it is for us in every area of things where we've lost, from large to small. I mean, I lost my sunglasses for 10 minutes recently. Any guesses as to how I spent those 10 minutes? Looking for sunglasses, right? I mean, I didn't say, well, at least I know where my bike is. You know, I was going to go on a bike ride, and I needed my sunglasses, so I, you know, good. I know where my keys are, I know where my wallet is, I know where my bike is. I, I can identify where all kinds of things are, but I do not know where my sunglasses are. And so that became my focus. It became my obsession. Whenever we lose something, that becomes our obsession. We, we kind of stop whatever we're doing and say, hey, did anyone see my wallet? Has anyone seen my keys? And we just scour until we find them. Now, it's not that everything that isn't lost is no longer important to us. It's just that we know that the lost item is not secure, and, and time is short, and we, and we need to find it. Jesus is saying that this is the way I look at the world. This is the way God looks at the world. Sure, some individuals have been found. Some have discovered the God who created them and loves them and have returned to him through Jesus Christ. But the vast majority are are still lost spiritually. They're lost on the inside. Some of them feel this. They they feel kind of an emptiness on the inside. They they feel it in different ways, but they they have a sense that they're, they're struggling. You know, they've tried maybe one thing after another, always hoping that this will be it. This relationship will be it. This thing will be it. This career, this job will be it. This trip will be it. Then it keeps ending up being another dead end in the maze of life. And they they feel it on the inside. But many simply are lost and do not feel it. You know, the, the sheep in this story just simply wandered off at some point. And that's the way many have related to God. They, they haven't decided one day, you know what, I don't want to have anything to do with God. They've just kind of wandered off in pursuit of whatever they desire and have been fascinated by this and fascinated by that. And before you know it, years have gone by and they look up and God just really isn't a factor in the way they think and the way they make decisions. And again, it wasn't a firm decision. I don't want anything to do with God. It's just I'm busy doing what I want to do. And they've wandered off and now they're far for God. Now they're lost. Some of them are like the son. You know, the son stormed out because he was mad at the father. For some reason, we have no idea what the issue was, what the grievance was the son had, whether he had a point or not, we don't know. But that's kind of what's happened to some people in the way they've related to God. They, they've encountered something in life, something hard has happened, and they blame God for that, and they're angry at God, and they don't have anything to do with God. But whatever the reason for being lost is, or whatever the awareness level of being lost is, God knows what's at stake, and his number one obsession is to pursue those who are lost. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love and value those who have been found, but his focus is to find those who are still lost. Now, how does he do that? Well, he brings found people, like many of you and me, across the path of lost people, so that those who are found can point the direction back to God, because they've been found. I mean, this is why Jesus could often be found at another Matthew party with those who were far from God. I mean, it was no accident that their paths had crossed. I mean, Jesus knew that the Father had arranged these meetings. 
You see, as we move through our day, we, we tend to view people kind of as a backdrop or, or scenery. They are the people that we pass by. They are the people that we drive by into our neighborhoods. They, they are the people that we stand in line with. They are the people that we stand on the side of soccer fields with as we watch our kids. They, they're there, and we may even chat with them, but we don't think that there's any purpose for us being there and them being there other than we just happened to land in the same place at the same time. But Jesus knew that no, there was much more going on than just happenstance. He knew that the Father had arranged these gatherings and arranged these meetings. You see, if you have been found by God, you are now part of God's great pursuit of those who are still far from him. The people in your life who cross your path are no accident. And he wants us to, to notice these people. Now, how many sheep did the shepherd have to lose before he mounted that search party? I mean, just one. Just one. How many coins did the widow have to lose before she turned her house upside down? Just one. How many sons had to leave before the father focused his attention on scanning the horizon for the lost son? Just one. You see, the point is that the God's focus is not on the lost as a general category. His focus is by name. Individuals. And like the shepherd and like the widow and like the father, he is focused on individual people, individual names. And he will and he does mount an incredible pursuit just even for an individual. He, he pursues us by name. So the, the first decision that you see coming out of these three stories is the priority. The priority is lost over found. The second decision, the second choice is the effort. The question really is, when you lose something, how long are you going to look for it? Occasional or ongoing? Is it going to be ongoing or occasional? Ongoing or occasional? Well, when it comes to the shepherd, the first story, how long did the shepherd look? Well, we don't know. We aren't told how many hours, but we are told this, until he finds it. You know, when a shepherd heads off to find a lost sheep, he's not saying, you know what, I'm giving this dumb sheep 15 minutes. And if I can't find it in 15 minutes, I'm going back to my comfortable house and dinner that's waiting for me. No, he, he closes the gate to the fold so the other 99 are, are safe, puts on his coat, gets his lantern, and he goes out into the night where all the wild animals are with, with the intent of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find the sheep. And he searches until he finds it. You know, this was the end of the day. It was dangerous. But there was no time limit. He, he was going to keep looking. How about the widow? Again, was it, you know, I'm, I'm going to give this 30 minutes? No, what we read is, says, does she not search carefully? Again, until she finds it. That's kind of like losing your wallet. I mean, you, you just keep looking and looking and looking because uh, who wants to go into the hassle of getting another driver's license and calling the credit card companies? And I mean, it's just a mess. So you, you search, your heart intent is, I'm going to search until I find this. Now, how about the Father? Well, we read in Luke 15, verse 20, the verse that followed the one I ended, it says, so he got up and went to his Father. That's where I ended the reading. But it goes on to say, but while he, the Son, was still a long way off, his Father saw him. Now, is that just a coincidence? I mean, it could have been. We don't know how long it was. The idea was he was pretty much a speck on the horizon 
when the father saw him. Now, it could have been that the father just happened to be walking outside on his way to the barn or whatever it was, and he just glanced up and happened to notice his son at a great distance off in the horizon. That's possible. But more likely, I, I think what was going on is the father was logging some amount of time every single day, scanning the, hori the horizon that he saw his son leave through. And he was looking. It was a regular habit for him. He, was, he had not given up on his son. And this is the kind of effort that God puts into finding the lost. It is a sacrificial and patient pursuit to the end. Last month, you may have heard of the avalanche in Italy that buried a, a hotel of skiers in Italy. And after a, a day of searching and digging, there were absolutely no signs of life. But then on day two, the rescuers began to hear some sounds. And as they got closer and closer, they heard the survivors, and the survivors heard them. And what they heard the survivors saying was angels, angels, angels. They were crying out as they heard the, survivor, or the rescuers coming towards them. Two days buried under the snow in those temperatures had left the rescuers with little hope of finding anyone alive. But they didn't stop. And these were lives that were at stake. In the end, because they didn't stop, 11 people were rescued. So let me ask you this. If you were one of those 11 trapped in that building under an incredible amount of tons of snow, how long would you have wanted the search to last? Well, just like it said in these verses, until they found you, right? Until you were found. And I say this because we all have people that we've kind of given up on. People that maybe we've tried to help point them to God, and they've made it really clear that they have no interest at all. And so out of respect, we've kind of backed off, which is appropriate, but in our hearts we've said, yeah, they'll never be interested. And we don't pray for them anymore. We don't try to even strike up the conversation to see if anything has changed. We, we've just kind of crossed them off as lost for good. You see, God has not given up. He searches until it's too late. I mean, there, there will be a day when it's too late. There'll be a day when either death comes or Jesus comes to wrap up history and it'll be too late. But until that, that day has yet, yet to come. If you're talking to someone, that day has not come. So don't give up. You know, my wife was invited eight times to church until she went the first time. Eight times. And I often thought, man, I would have given up after three or four. But eight times. I'm so grateful to the one who was inviting her that she didn't give up after the seventh invitation. I mean, it would have been reasonable to say, okay, seven invitations, clearly, this, there's no interest. But for some reason, it was the timing of what was going on in her life and invitation number eight and she decided to visit. That changed her life, and that started on the path of how I met her, and I'm forever grateful. As I said, one day the search will end, but for now it goes on. So don't, don't give up on the people that God have put in, has put in your life and who cross your path. Continue to pray for them. Continue to love them. Continue to serve them. 
Continue to open your mouth and invite them to consider what you have found in Christ. You may be the only rescuer looking for them. You know, there's people that I live next to that you don't live next to. You don't even know them. I may be the only one who's looking for them. I may be the only one who is praying for them by name. And you've got people just exactly like that. So the priority is, is it going to be lost or found? Jesus said it needs to be lost. The effort is going to be ongoing or kind of like a hobby, occasional thing. And Jesus says, no, this, until you find, this needs to be ongoing. And that brings us to the last point, and that is the problem. The problem is, is it going to be about us or is it going to be about them? This problem shows up at both the beginning and the end of Luke chapter 15. You know, the complaint that was made by the religious elite was this. We read it early, but let me read it again. It says, this man welcomes sinners and eats with, and here's the key word, them. Them. Well, who are, who are they? Well, they're tax collectors. Tax collectors who use Rome's power to impoverish others and enrich themselves. They were hated in this culture. And sinners. You'll notice sinners is in quote because it was used that way to describe those who are involved in prostitution. And so the religious elite look at Jesus socializing with financial thieves and sexually promiscuous prostitutes. And they accurately say, them. That's not us. I mean, the problem is not the words us and the word them. It's, uh, it's the attitude that came with this. I mean, you, you can see the attitude in this. They were accurate in that, yeah, we're, we're, they weren't tax collectors. They were Pharisees. They weren't prostitutes. They were Pharisees. But the pronouns that accurately define the differences between groups, us and them, they do identify real differences between people, but they, they go from there into an attitude. You see, what starts out as the fact of us and them usually expands into an attitude of us versus them. Now, this happens whether it's in the arena about God or anything else. If you're part of a group of people and someone is not in that group, they're a them, you're an us. And what happens over time is you begin to look down on people who are not in your special group. The reason is that the, the value of being an us, of being in a group, whatever kind it is, goes up in part by lowering the value of being them. So every group tends to develop this attitude of, if, if you're us, if you're one of us, then then we're just kind of a cut above them, the people who are not part of this group. And this happens when it comes to the matter of those who are found and those who are lost. So the religious elite felt better about themselves by shaking their heads at the sinners. And this is why Jesus was so shocking. It says he loved them. Most people only love us, the people that are in their group. He loved them and went to their homes and spent time talking with them. I mean, clearly Jesus was not one of them. 
But instead of having this kind of us versus them attitude that is so common, he had a us for them attitude. And he calls us now to join him in this very same attitude. I mean, we are at a time in our nation where us versus them is just on the rise. Now, there's no getting around the fact that there are us's and there are them's, but the attitude is the problem. You know, this us versus them attitude shows up at the end of Luke 15 in the last story of the, of the son, the prodigal son. And it ends with a conflict between the father and the older son who had stayed over a party that the father had thrown for the returning younger brother. Here's what we read in Luke 15, verses 28 through 29, as the story continues. The older brother became angry and refused to go in to this party for the younger brother. So his father went out, you know, he's doing the big pout. Father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all of these years, so you see, he's going to set his father straight here. Look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. What's, what's implied? unlike some other sons we know about. <laughs> Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I've never had a party like this. I'm the good son. What are we celebrating the bad son for? I mean, why is this older son angry? Well, he, as I said, he'd been the better son. And now the bad son gets the party. I mean, it, it was his younger brother who had squandered a piece, I mean half of the family estate, squandered family money, and left his older brother with more work to do. And you know, honestly, a party just didn't seem fair. Now, I think the older brother has a point, doesn't he? I mean, I'd, I'd feel the same way. Hey, 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 this isn't right. The problem is, even though the older brother has a point, he is missing the bigger point. There's something even bigger that eclipses this injustice. And the, the father addresses that bigger point a few verses down, verses 31 through 32. It says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Notice the pronoun. This brother of yours. That's an us pronoun. The brother was putting his younger brother, the older brother was putting the younger brother outside. He's a them. And the father says, no, he's, he's still your brother. And the father was saying, I, I know what he's done, but honestly, you guys are more similar than you are different. And what's interesting is, what had the younger son done? He'd gotten mad at his father and had told his father off. What was the older brother doing now? Kind of the same thing. Now, granted, it, it wasn't to the same degree that the younger brother had done, but it was the same path. You see, this is important for us to understand. We, if you've decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ and you, you've trusted him as your one and only hope for forgiveness, your only Savior, the only one who who can guide you through life, your Lord, your, your boss, then your life has changed. 
And I know for many of you, that it's been a, a pretty dramatic change. And so it's very easy for you to look at them and begin to look down on them and think they're not quite as good as you because what well, you're a different person now. But see, the truth is, there may be difference there, but it's not as big and wide as you think. You know, we, we can look at pretty much everything, every form of sin that goes on in this world, and even if we're not engaging in it now, we have at some point in our life gone down that path to some degree. We may not have gone the distance. We may not have gone to the tragic end that this path leads, but we know its pull. We know its power because we've walked it down long enough. And so that should give us a heart for those that have been pulled in the gravitational forces of these different directions that take people far from God. We have no business to be shaking our heads and wondering what's wrong with them. And so as the years go by, it's easy for us to forget what it's like without Christ and to start thinking that we're better than them and that the attention should be focused on us and not them, just like this brother. And like that brother, we forget that they're lost family. Something much bigger than fairness and comparison is at stake right now. As the father said, this brother of yours was dead. I mean, he was close to death. He was lost. As far as we knew, he was dead. We didn't, we didn't know if he was dead or alive. He was lost. And then he comes walking back. I mean, we thought he was dead. He was out there wandering around, and now he's come home. And that son deserves a party. We'll throw a party for you. Everything I have is yours. But right now, this, this deserves a party. They are... You see, they're not them. They're people like us who are lost and dead. This we're better than them attitude is just a huge barrier. You know what my first emotion was on that river when I got lost? It was not panic. That was my second emotion. You know what my first emotion was? Embarrassment. What I actually did is I looked around hoping that nobody had seen this. And then after 10 minutes, I looked around hoping that somebody had seen this. <laughs> but at first, it was embarrassing. I mean, I'm, I don't have a lot of experience on that river, and some of the people I'd passed, you could tell they'd grown up on that river. And I knew that if they saw me, you know, the city boy on his wave runner, mess it up, I, I knew. I knew what it would be. I knew those fishermen would just be shaking their heads They're like, yep, another one of those idiots come out here with his wave runner. <laughs> running into stuff. And I, I didn't want to, I, didn't want, I wanted to fix it on my own. I didn't want anyone to find out that I was lost. I mean, that's embarrassing. And I say that because it's the same thing that happens when we're lost on the inside. When someone's lost on the inside, they, they don't want to admit it. I mean, that's embarrassing. No one wants to admit that they are lost and they, they're struggling to find their way on the inside and, and really figure out what life is about. That, that's a humbling thing to admit. They don't want to admit it, much less get help from someone who thinks that they're better than them. So the moment someone can, and people can get a, people can get away, if you think you're better than someone, they can, they can pick that up just like that. Now, if they get even the first whiff that you think you're a cut above them, 
you are the last person they're ever going to go to and say, hey, could you help me find my way? They're never going to do that. It's going to be with people that they know they don't look down on them. I think the most amazing phrase in this entire chapter is this one. Here's the phrase. This man welcomes sinners. That's shocking. Because who was this man? This man was Jesus. God in flesh. The only one to ever walk the planet with absolute moral perfection. He was the one making sinners feel welcome. How did he how in the world could he do that? I mean, you would think that just to be in the presence of Jesus, you'd feel so guilty about all of your sin. But somehow Jesus made these people who were, you know, on the lower end of sinful guilt feel welcome. How? Well, did Jesus pretend maybe that they weren't sinners? I mean, that's one of the common approaches now. Let's just pretend that nobody's doing anything wrong. No, that's, I mean, if you read the record, Jesus was, I mean, there was no getting around the fact that, yes, this was a prostitute that he was talking to, and yes, this was a tax collector who had been dishonest and impoverished people. There's no whitewashing that. Jesus didn't whitewash it. Well, well, maybe Jesus pretended that he really wasn't any better than anyone else. Well, again, he, you know, we can do that because we're not that much better, but Jesus, well, he'd never sinned. He was absolutely perfect, so he couldn't get away with you know, lying and saying, oh, you haven't done anything wrong, or lying and saying, I'm really not any better than you because I'm God in flesh, and I guess I am a little better than you. I mean, those were the facts. They were, they were undeniable. How, how did he make sinners feel welcome? He loved them. He loved them. That was it. He took an interest in them. They, they, they heard him talk, and they had a hope that there was a future for them, that there was forgiveness for them. You see, real genuine love is the only thing powerful enough to lower the us and the them barrier. Agreement will never lower it because there'll never be agreement. But love, well, that penetrates that barrier. The shepherd would have never found the lost sheep by making sure the door to the fold was open. You know, if he'd, if he'd noticed, he'd counted, noticed one sheep is lost, he goes, well, you know what, let me secure these 99, let me just leave the gate open. I'll go have my dinner, go to bed. If that dumb sheep finds its way home, then good. I mean, that, the sheep would have never found its way home. No, he, he had to cover the distance. The widow was not going to find her lost coin by holding on to the other nine. She had to actually set the nine down, get down on her hands and knees, and search for it. And for the father, the distance to be covered was not in miles, because he, he, couldn't, he didn't know where his son was. He couldn't go search. It was, it, was, it was the softening of his son's heart. So every day... I think he would walk out and he would scan that horizon. I don't know how long, but it seems like it was regularly. And again, we don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure that while he was walking, he was praying for his son. We don't know what he prayed, but I can imagine I'm a father. It would be something like, oh, God, please get a hold of my son's heart. Bring him to his senses. Bring him back home. He did this, we don't know how long, but probably years. Before one day, his son finally showed up. So the question is, who are you praying for? 
who's far from God? Who, who are you searching for? Who are you getting down on your hands and your knees doing whatever you can to help them find their way to God? I want to invite the band to go ahead and come up on stage. We're going to do something a little different. We're going to sing a song that captures the theme of this series and the invitation of Jesus to come to him. But first, I want to ask you this as the band's making their way up on stage, getting ready to lead us in this song. I want to ask you this question. Where do you fit in on this equation? Are you lost or are you found? I'm not going to ask you to do anything, so this is just for you to think about this. Are you lost or are you found? If you have been found, then you need to thank God for his pursuit of you. You need to thank the people that God used to come looking for you. And then you need to pray for someone who has yet to find their way home. In fact, you'll notice in the program, we've got this insert uh, that says, Pray, Invest, and Invite. And I would encourage you during this series, uh, leading up to Easter, is that you would use this, put it somewhere that you can see it, and remind yourself to pray for those who are far from God in your path. And then to invest and figure out, now what, what can I do? What's the next step? How can I serve? How can I help? How can I strike up a conversation? You don't need to know everything. Just what's the next step? And then do that. And then take the next step. And then invite. Pray about those you can invite to join us on Easter. Now, if you have yet to be found, if you honestly say, you know, I, I think I'm, when it comes to God, I think I'm lost. Maybe you're here trying to learn some things, and that's great. So if you've yet to be found, the fact that you are here, I think, is a pretty good indication that when it comes to you, God is like that father looking on the horizon, hoping that today, maybe today will be the day when you come to your senses and you return to him. Now, I, I know it's humbling. Like me on that river, I didn't want anyone to know that I was lost. It's a humbling thing to admit that you're lost on the inside, but you know, if you're lost, you're lost. And so this song that the band's going to lead us in is a, is, a, is a song of invitation, really, that communicates in music the heart of God for you. So after we sing, I'm, I'm going to make a few closing remarks, and then I'm going to lead us in the prayer of the found. So let's, um, let's sing this song together, then I'll come back. And are you hurting and broken within? And overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling Oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus 
bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. So if you're ready uh, to give your life to Jesus, then allow this to be your prayer. And if you've already done that, then allow this prayer to reaffirm that decision. And as the last line of that song said, let's tell the world of the absolute treasure that we have found. So join me in prayer. Again, if this is your prayer, you want to give your life to Jesus, then just let this prayer express your heart. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are tired of making our own way in life. I am lost. I need the forgiveness that you offer and the guidance that you give. Today, I'm giving my life to you. I'm accepting your forgiveness and submitting to you as the Lord of my life. I thank you for your love for me evidenced in the price that you paid on the cross for me and your patient pursuit of me over the years. It's absolutely amazing for me to think right now that all of heaven and the angels would, would rejoice over just me coming to you. And Father, those of us who have already prayed this, we ask that you'd help us to see the people in our path, not just as scenery or obstacles on our way somewhere else, but as you, Jesus, saw them and as you see them still. Prompt us about what to do and what to say so that we might help others find the treasure that we found. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.